I want to take just a little bit of time, and and I want to preach. Um, I I think you've probably been noticing some some focused preaching that deals with with outreach. It deals with getting outside of our comfort zone. It deals with reaching the lost because we cannot be a church that just assumes they're going to walk in. And I will tell you that for the past nine years, uh, we have had people walk in off the street. We've got people that just nobody invited them. It was the Spirit of the Lord that drew them. And I'm thankful for every moment and every one of those that there is. But if this church is ever going to truly be in the revival that God has in store, it's not going to be just, I hope they come in off the streets. It's going to have to be you and I reaching them and touching them. And uh, so I want to I preach a little bit about uh, that, that this revival is going to be necessary for you and I to make clear the path for mercy. We've got to clear a path for mercy. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 1, if you'll turn there in your Bibles, I apologize, it's not on the screen behind us. All of our computer operators are either at youth convention or they are out of town on work or they're sick. So uh, you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. So you should bring your Bible and not depend on the technology. Sometimes that goes out. But hopefully your Bible never does. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Most of us could quote it or at least paraphrase it. And you... Hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin? Everybody say he's talking about me. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. That's talking about us. By nature, we were the children of the devil. By nature, we were fallen. But God. But God. Who was rich, who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. For when you were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I think I speak for you, not trying to be presumptuous, but I think I can speak for you that I'm thankful for the mercy of God. Every song you want to sing that talks about it, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. Or I once was in that miry clay, but Jesus picked me up and put my feet on a rock to stay. However you want to sing it, preach it, pray it, remember it, I'm thankful for the mercies of God. I have preached, you know it, I have preached about the justice of God. God doesn't change. The word of God is true. No matter what generation, no matter what age you are. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. You cannot escape that. You cannot walk away from that. You cannot uh, uh, explain it away. 
I know there's a lot of churches, and if you get on the news or if you follow anything like that, we got some whacked out churches that are are, are really starting to, to, to go. I saw one church where their thing now is it's a nude church. You go to church in the nude, and so uh, that that's their way to win. I've seen, there, there's a sign out here on Highway K. It's called the church in the bar, and they hold church in the bar, and you can drink, and, and you can hear the pastor preach. And there are churches that allow homosexuals behind the pulpit, there are churches that have no defining uh, uh, limits or levels of sin, but, but it doesn't matter what others say, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, there's no way around it, there's no way to, to, to get away from that, we were dead in sin and trespass, but God, see here's the thing, mercy and grace does not negate the punishment. Mercy and grace does not throw the law out, if you will. If we were dead in our sin and trespasses, if the wages of sin is death, that means there still has to be a penalty paid for our sin. But thanks be to God, He took the penalty. Thanks be to God, He died in my place so that I might have mercy. Might have mercy. It is a a common theme throughout the Bible, this mercy. For you and I to understand and to realize that, and and, um, there are, hopefully I don't don't confuse anybody, I think most of us know this, but uh, there there is what's called dispensations and uh, some some uh, like to use that there is a, a dispensation of innocence, that's before the fall. Where, where there was no uh, mercy needed. There was no uh, shame or guilt or condemnation required. There was no sacrifice. It was innocence. And then you have the fall and, and the age of accountability and the age where we start realizing we're sinning. And then there's the age of, and, uh, of the patriarchs. And, and then there's the dispensation of the law that comes with Moses. And we preached about that. And then there is the dispensation of grace that comes with Christ and Calvary. But, but sometimes if we're not careful, we look at those dispensations and we cut the Bible up and we try to say, well, this only happened here and this only happened in this time and this only happened there. Now there is an element of mercy and grace on that cross. There is an element that when Jesus died on the cross, you and I had that freedom that he took our place. But mercy and grace started all the way back in the garden. Because God could have. There's other times in the Bible that someone sinned and God didn't even take a breath. Just blew them off the face of the earth. God could have done that. But in reaching down to an Adam and Eve that were hiding in the garden. Afraid, scared, full of shame. And God reaches down and he takes their tattered fig leaves of their own you know, holiness, if you will, and he gives them coats of skin, that was an act of mercy. Instead of laughing at them, instead of saying, you idiot, instead of saying, I, I, I'm blowing you off the face, I'm going to vaporize you off the face, God covered them. Now, there was still wages of sin that had to be merited out. To the, to the serpent, you have a curse. To the woman, you have a curse. To the man, you have a curse, but there was mercy. 
I want you to understand that if revival is ever going to come to O'Fallon, it will have to come through mercy. You could go to Noah and his family. God found mercy upon them. All of the earth was wicked. The Bible says all were wicked, but Noah found grace. That is a, a form of mercy. He goes to Noah and his family and he allows them to build the ark. That mercy was not only extended to Noah's family, it was extended to anyone who wanted to come in the ark. It was those that did not come and they missed out on that mercy. Mercy to Abraham. I know Abraham, the song we sung, kind of pulls from the story of Abraham, the friend of God. But Abraham had a lot of dark places in his life. And there were many times, you know, some people say one strike, two strikes, three strikes, you're out. Abraham far exceeded that strike limit. Abraham messed up every time you turned around, but there was an element of mercy that allowed God to extend that grace and that mercy to Abraham and bring us to this place we are today. The mercy seat that we call that place upon the Ark of the Covenant that resided behind the holiest of holies. That mercy seat where God would meet with that high priest, if you will, that was God meeting with man and coming down and in mercy allowing them, if they fulfilled the requirements of Moses' law, that mercy would be extended to them and they could walk with their sins rolled away or their sins banked, if you will, until the day Christ died on the cross, according to Hebrews that we learned. Mercy. Mercy. I am a recipient of the mercy of God. Uh, we, you can't compare sins. Uh, some of you, you know, sometimes we, we like the testimonies that start at the really low places. We like the testimonies that start with, you know, I was... I, and, and if I can pick on Brother Sorrels, and, and you said this publicly, so I think it's okay. Brother Sorrels has talked about when, when, when he and Sister Sorrels were, were kind of newly married, they lived right across where the church was, and, and, and they didn't go to church. They wasn't there. Brother Sorrels would sit in his front, row, front uh, yard and drink beer and watch his church be built and kind of laugh and poke fun of it. And, and we, we sort of like those testimonies that say, look how far God brought us out. But there is no one here whose testimony is greater than another. It might be more interesting, so to speak. It, it might have an element that, that looks good in a comic book, if you will, if we made a comic book of your life and there'd be a lot of action in it. But the mercy that God extended to me is just as incredible as the mercy God extended to the drug addict because all have sinned. And it's not even that I can just say, well, I had sin because I was born in sin. No, the, the sins that I've committed are just as vile, just as horrendous, just as bad. But the mercy of God is mine. But I don't want to preach tonight about the mercy of God. Because I don't think there's anybody in this building that needs me to preach about the mercy of God. Instead... I'd like to preach about the mercy you and I need to extend to a lost and dying world. Because so many people will never get to the mercy of God because they got hung up with an attitude or a judgmental moment with someone that said they were of God. And if, God, if someone that is saved of God doesn't have mercy, then why would someone want the mercy that God put in that person? That might be a 
convoluted way to say it. Let me try to get it a little bit more, explain it a little better. If, if you and I are saved and we are celebrating the mercy of God, but we don't in turn show mercy, then why would anybody want the mercy of our God? That's why Ephesians chapter 2 is so important. Because it reminds you and I that we were lost. It reminds you and I that we've not arrived. We can't just kick our feet back and say, look at us. We're, we're this and that and we're, we're awesome and we're blessed and, and, and we're perfect. He reminds you that you were of your, by the very nature, the children of wrath. But it was God's mercy that pulled you out. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 35. I will try not to read it verbatim, but sort of skim over it, paraphrase some of it. But there are three places, Numbers and in Deuteronomy and once in Joshua, that you are introduced to these cities, these six cities called the cities of refuge. Numbers chapter 35, starting in verse 10 you have a God speaking to Moses, and he tells Moses, he said, Moses, when you cross over the Jordan, when you walk into Canaan's land, there I want you to appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you. Now, there's a, a different things. There was, on the east side of the Jordan River, there were three cities. One was uh, Bezir, and another Ramoth-Gilead, and another was Gol Golan. And then on the west of the Jordan, there was Hebron and Sheshem and Kadesh. Those six cities, they were there. Now, uh, we don't, hopefully we don't operate on this same code, but in the east and from times, just almost before time, it seems, there has always been this overarching um, duty of avenging your family. For you and I, the closest I can think of is go back to the Hatfield and McCoy feuds. If somebody wronged your, your kin, then you had to go do something to their kin. An eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And so it was, it seemed as if there was a sacred obligation that if, if somebody killed one of your family... It became almost a duty of honor that you would have to go and kill one of their family. And, and it became this Hatfield and McCoy feud. And so the Lord understood this. And while he didn't uh, necessarily agree with that, there is an element in the Old Testament of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to atone for your sins. But the problem is, God did not want man to become the judge and the jury all on their own. In fact, if you read the, the, the Moses' law, it, it has a whole court system, so to speak, laid out. And so God said to, to Moses, he said, Moses, there's going to be moments where someone is killed, and, and it could have been by accident or, or who knows, but rather than just let, just let you know, the kin go out and, and lynch him and hang him on a tree, I want you to make sure there are six cities, and they need to be equally scattered so no one has to go far. And it's there that they can get to that city of refuge. And there in the city of refuge, safe from the, the, the vengeful, a retribution of the kin, they can go and let the judges decide whether they are guilty of murder or whether it was an accident. For example, if uh, you and I get into a fight 
Brother, Brother Steve, you and I get in a fight, I get mad and I pick up the axe in my hand and I hit you in the, in the head and I kill you, uh, I'm, I'm guilty of murder. I let my passions get. But if, I am, if I'm chopping, if you and I are both chopping a tree and I slip or the axe head flies off and hits you, that's not murder. But your kin might not see it that way. So I would flee as fast as I could. And I would flee to those cities of refuge. And there in that city of refuge, I would put myself under the courts and under those that, that, that could rule. And they would decide whether I was innocent or not. If I was innocent, I could stay in that city and be safe from the avenger. If I was guilty, then there were justice that would need to be administrated. And it was there. But the idea was that it had to be easy to get to. Let me, let me read to you another place. Let me read to you in Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 1. When the Lord thy God cut off the nations whose land the Lord thy God giveth thee, and when you succeed them, meaning when you're living in their cities and in their houses, you're going to separate three cities for thee in the midst of thy land which the Lord giveth thee to possess it. And thou shalt prepare thee a way. And divide the coast of the land that the Lord giveth thee to inherit into three parts, that the slayer may flee thither. And this is the case of the slayer which shall flee, that he may live. Whosoever killeth his neighbor ignorantly, whom he did not hate in the times past, when a man goes into the wood with his neighbor to hew wood, and his hand fetches the stroke of the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slippeth from the helm, and lighteth upon his neighbor, and he dies, then he can flee into the one of those cities and live. Lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer, while his heart is hot and overtake him, because the way is long, and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death, insomuch as he did not hate him in the times past. Separate three cities. The idea is three cities on either side of the Jordan. One of the things that becomes apparent when you begin to study that was that it says make clear the way. These cities of refuge were not to be put in the middle of a forest with some convoluted way to get there that would cause you to have to take time to figure it out so that the avenger, the accuser could overtake and kill you. But it said make the paths broad. Put a highway as big as you possibly can. Don't put anything in the way. Let them get to the house of refuge. Let them get to the city of refuge and let the judge sort it out. I want to tell you today that this church and every church of the living God needs to operate like a city of refuge. What I'm trying to say is, this is for e whosoever will, let them come. They can come in any walk of life. They can come with any weight of sin. They can come any way they want to be dressed. They can come with any vile nature. They can come with any hate in their heart. But I just want them to get here. It's not your job. It's not my job to judge them. What it is is just let them come and let the word of God that goes forth on this pulpit, let the word of God. God judge them. Now, here's the, listen to me. There is a difference in a church that says, I want everybody to come and we don't care how you are, how you're dressed, and we're not going to even preach about it either. That's wrong. 
All right? We're not just saying you can do whatever you want to do, come to church and live whatever life you want to live, and, and you'll be okay. That's not what this is about. What this is about is I have supreme confidence that the lighthouse, and, and yes, I preach predominantly, but I have supreme confidence in any person who I put behind this pulpit, they're going to preach the word of God without fear and without favor. That we're going to preach the whole counsel of God. And there's a lot of things that are preached outside this pulpit. There's Bible studies that goes on. There's, there's uh, ministerial counseling, if you will. And I don't mean counseling in the, in the clinical sense. But there's, there, there, there's ministerial and pastoral counseling that goes on to try to help somebody to, to, to see beyond their sin and the way that they're living. But you and I are not to be the judge. Now, can I say if you sin, you won't go to heaven? If you haven't been baptized? Absolutely. Jesus said it. Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We have every right to preach salvation. But don't stop them before they get to the church. Don't make the path toward the city of refuge so built up and so uh, uh, much of a hindrance that they never get to the place where the judge can judge. I love, you know, how many times have you heard me say that the word of God is quick and sharp, sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides us under the joints and the marrow. That we know that word of God has that ability to delve into the deepest parts of our life, our conscience, and who we are. And the word of God excises. The word of God uh, does surgery. The word of God opens up little attic and, and cupboard doors that we like to try to keep hidden so the skeletons can't be seen. You know, you can, you can fool me. I'm actually pretty easy to fool. You can ask my wife. I think everybody's perfect. Unless you do something blatantly to me, I'm going to always give you the benefit of the doubt. You can fool me. You can't fool the Word of God. You can't fool God. I, that's why I preach. And I, I, I remember uh, it's been five or six years ago. I'd been preaching and I kept being very laser focused and and I had one particular person that I wanted God to reach. And, 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 and I had one particular person that I felt needed to hear. And I become so laser focused. And one night, late at night, I was in bed. And God, uh, uh, it was before I went to bed. And, and God kind of got a hold of my attention. And he didn't speak audibly, but it was very clear. He put on my heart. He said, Brandon, he said, your job is simply to preach the word. He said, it is their job to receive the word. You cannot make them receive it. All you can do is preach it. Man, that was a weight off my shoulders. I should have known better. But I began to realize that all I can do is bring them to the house of mercy. All I can do is get them to the place where the, where, where the word of God goes forth. All I can do is bring them to a place where the grace of God is present and let the word convict them. How shall they hear except a preacher? How shall they save except that they hear the word? We've got to make the way to the house of God clear. Revival. See, Revival is not pretty and clean. When a church gets into a, a, a harvest of souls, what that means is you got a lot of sinners coming. 
Any of y'all in sales? Anybody, anybody do sales now? Brother, Brother Wyatt does sales. I don't know if anybody else does. You do sales. Uh, you kind of learn sales aren't one-to-one. You don't just walk into somebody's house or walk into a, a showroom. You don't just say, hey, I got a product. I want you to buy it, and they just automatically buy it. And so every person you tell them they need to buy it, they buy it. That's just not how sales work. There's a lot. They, they use this term called leads. You can purchase leads. You can, you can purchase uh, uh, connections. And, and, and they'll tell you that sometimes you'll have to, I forget who it was uh, somewhere, and, and it was of some sales uh, uh, pitch. They said that they almost had to have almost a thousand connections to make one sale. So if we're in, I'm just trying to make it real clear. If we're going to have a church where people are getting the Holy Ghost and people are getting baptized, it's not because one sinner walked in the door and one sinner got saved and one sinner becomes a saint. It means there's a whole lot of sinners coming through the doors and a whole lot of broken people coming through the doors and a whole lot of wounded people coming into the house of refuge. And that's a little messy. Because when I was growing up, when I was, was a kid, sinners were all kind of simple. But sinners are messed up today. They don't know what they are. They don't know who they are. They've run so far the gamut, and, and they are so far into, into a debauched lifestyle, and you get them. But I'm going to tell you today, your, and I, your job and my job is to clear the path for mercy. And if you'll clear that path, they'll come into a, a city of refuge. They'll come into the lighthouse. And there the judge will hear their case. And what I'm thankful about the judge is there is no shadow of turning with that judge. What that means is the same judge that judged you. Aren't you glad, Brother Cozart, he judged you the way he did? That old song, he's the potter, I'm the clay. Aren't you glad he didn't pick you up when you were messed up on the potter's wheel and just wadge up and throw you away? Aren't you glad he showed mercy and grace on you? Guess what? He wants to do the same for the next sinner that walks in these doors. He wants to take a life that's broken, a life that's, that's, that's so far into sin, they don't know what way is up or down. And he wants to give them the same mercy and grace that he extended to you. It's that story of John, found in, at least in John chapter 8 and verse 1. When it says that Jesus went up into the Mount of Olives and very early came again into the temple. And people came, they were talking to him as he was off to do and he was teaching them. And the scribes and the Pharisees bring to him a woman taken in adultery and they threw her in her midst. And they said unto them, Master, this woman was taken in adultery and they made it very clear. We took her in the very act. Now Moses in the law commands that she should be stoned, but what do you say? Of course, they were tempting him. They, they, they wanted him to say, don't worry about it, and then they could say that he's against the law. Or they wanted him to say stone or kill her good. And then they say, well, what about the guy? Why are you, you know, why are you being chauvinistic? But you know the story. Jesus, he just stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. 
as if he didn't hear them. They kept asking him and finally lifted himself up and he said unto them, He that without sin, let them cast the first stone. And he keeps writing on the ground and they heard it. The Bible says convicted of their own conscience starting from the oldest down to the youngest. Probably because the oldest had more things he could remember that he had done. And they left and Jesus lifted himself up and didn't see anyone but the woman. And he said unto her, woman, where are thine accusers? Where is the ones that are going to condemn thee? And she said, there is no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. It was not a, a condoning of her sin. But it was an act of mercy. That says, I know what you've done. See, I, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm reading a little bit outside the Bible, but I've got enough other Bible verses that tell me that when people got in contact with Jesus, it's the woman at the well that went into the city and said, this man knows everything about me. I mean, he knows everything I've done. I'm convinced that that woman who had, this was not a fictitious thing. She was caught in the act of adultery. If, if, if everybody else said, I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to testify, and, and legally she could have got off. When Jesus looked at her and pierced her soul with his gaze, she knew there was at least one person that knew exactly how far she had sinned. I, I read on Facebook, it's been years ago, but I read on Facebook that there are some who won't drop their stones no matter what Jesus doodles on the ground. It's a pretty powerful uh, reminder to remember that His grace and mercy kept you from being stoned. His grace and mercy found you in a lot worse sin than that woman. I've often wondered if Jesus was writing their names and then writing their sin. That would have been funny. You know, here they are ready to stone her for her sins. And Jesus writes, Brandon Buford stole an apple from the market. All of a sudden, I don't want people to know that. I start disappearing. Can I just tell you today that I believe so strongly that God is getting this church ready for a harvest of souls. There's going to be work that has to be done on your part and my part. But it's not my job to judge. It's my job to help them get into the house of God. And then I'm going to trust that the word of God will go. And that word of God will convict them. And that word of God will bring them to a place where they have to make a decision. And at that point, they will choose to accept his mercy and his grace. And they will repent of their sins They'll find their way to be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Or they'll harden their heart and they'll walk out those doors. But either way, I made clear the path for mercy. I made clear the path of mercy. I want us to stand today. A sermon like this doesn't have much of an altar call per se. The altar call is going to be what do you do when you leave and what kind of path are you making and how are you facilitating those as they walk into this church. There's going to be some pretty ugly sinners walk in, and I don't mean 
the way they, they look, just the sins that they carry. Be a lot of warts and bumps and bruises and atrocities and 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 just horrid sins that that to be honest make the 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 nature inside of you convulse and it is it's despicable and it's gross and and I don't like those sins. But such was I. Such was I. But God, in His mercy. In his love wherewith he loved us. That while we were yet sinners, he died for you and I. And that, sin, that blood is still available to those that are here. I want us just to take a moment on this Wednesday night. And as they sing for a moment, I want you just to let God begin to speak to you. I want you to ask God to help you to be one that clears the way for mercy. To be the one that goes up to one of those old ugly sinners. And, Would you like to come to the altar with me? To put an arm around someone that's been feeling the presence of God. Just praying with them.